The Lord be with you. Thanks for joining us for this podcast on January 15th, 2023. It is, uh, this is the Redheaded Preacher podcast. You've come to the right place. My name is Richard Lanford. I am the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. Planet Earth and a third rock from the sun, yes. And uh, this morning, the uh, scriptures will be a bit different. They're not from the lectionary except the gospel. I enjoy the gospel passage, though I confess that when I, uh, without really looking at it, I thought this was the part of the John the Baptist and Jesus story which in which John said, he must increase, but I must decrease, which is, I, I just love that. And But that's not in this gospel passage. I was mistaken. Uh, that's in John chapter 3. Be that as it may, the gospel that we do have is from the lectionary. The other passages that Carolyn Van Til will read for us are from the New Testament. Uh, Romans 12, Romans 13, excerpted verses, and then 10 verses, the first 10 from the chapter, uh, the Revelation to John, chapter 13. And uh, I'll t- discuss in the sermon why I chose those, and you might gather it by, for yourself anyway before I explain it in, in the, uh, the sermon, which is called, Love is Not Always Obvious. I struggled to find a title for this one, um, but I think this is a good subject. It is inspired by the fact that this is the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend. This, the 15th, actually is his birthday, and... Um, Part, other parts of the service also reflect that, uh, but not, not the whole service. But you're not listening to the whole service, so that's okay. I don't need to go into that. Um, I hope you'll enjoy the sermon. Uh, stick with it. it. There are some quotes. And then I know it's easy to kind of let your mind wander when listening to quotes, even if they're from something that Martin Luther King Jr. has written. So let's celebrate. I invite you to listen. Thanks for tuning in. And here we go. Here's Carolyn. Our first three passages are all from New Testament letters. The three are Romans 12, verses 9 through 13, followed immediately by Romans 15, verses 1 through 8. Two of those are brief enough that I will read the third passage from the Revelation after the first. That will be the first ten verses from the 13th chapter of the Revelation to John. We begin with Romans 12. Paul wrote, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. And from chapter 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. 
for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, for the authority does not hear, does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to rescue wrath, to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject not only because of the wrath, but also because of the conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, taxes to whom due, taxes are due. Revenue to whom revenue is due. Respect to whom respect is due. Honor to whom honor is due. Owe no one anything except for love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And now from St. John and the Revelation, where his vision continues. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on its horns were were ten diadems. And on its heads were blasphemous names. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And the dragon gave its, his power and his throne in great authority. One of its heads seemed to have received a death blow, but its mortal wound had been healed. In amazement, the whole earth followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all the inhabitants of the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name had not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slaughtered. Let anyone who has an ear to listen. If you are to be taken captive, into captivity you go. If you kill with the sword, with the sword you must be killed. Here is a call for the endurance and faith. Will those who are able... Please stand for the reading of the gospel. It's found in the lectionary for today. It is John chapter 2, verses 9 through 42. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he may be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him, that day, 
It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Here ends the reading of the gospel and the scriptures for this morning's service. May God grant us a joyful and wise understanding of this, God's holy word. Love is not always obvious. Sometimes, love can present itself as something trying to get in our way or stop us from doing something we want to. We get mad. Sometimes we get frustrated. Sometimes love comes to us in the form of discipline or chores or a strong talking to. We can even have a run-in with love when we have to make a painful decision because maybe that turns out to be the loving thing someone else needs. We do not see that out of love our parents, grandparents, or mentors can get tough with us, frustrate us, because their goal is to make us better persons or to protect us or protect another whom we do not realize is at risk. Love is not always obvious. It was probably not obvious when Methodist laywoman Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a bus for a white person. That act of civil disobedience in Birmingham, excuse me, in Montgomery, that act of civil disobedience of saying no to the rules and byways of segregation in the long run was an act of love and not an unplanned one because it kick-started the movement for racial justice in America, among other things that also kick-started it. Now, I've said before that one way to think of justice is love distributed. I'm still partial to that phrase, even though it is not perfect. Cornell West said, remember, justice is what love looks like in public. When it's being advocated, when it's being advocated in the face of what is experienced as apathy, or opposition. Such love is not always obvious to those without eyes to perceive. Now there are believers who say that such action like civil disobedience is not loving, not faithful. That's why I included Romans 12 and 13 in our scriptures. Paul is very strong in his embrace of governing authorities and his conviction that God is at work through them. We heard Carolyn Reed, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those will incur judgment. Well, some of you who are of a certain age will remember the TV commercial with a sheriff who has pulled over a speeding driver and through the open driver's side window says, you're in a heap of trouble, boy. Who knew, who knew this character was an agent of the Lord? 
When I attended Bethel College, my theology professor taught us that because of this need to be subject to the governing authorities, which are appointed by God, therefore, since the law was to not drive past a certain speed limit and you went over it, you were sinning because you were going against the governing authorities' laws. That's why I said, who knew this character was an agent of the Lord? We would be resisting an authority God put in place. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Now a contrasting scripture is not only the emphasis on love for each other in Romans 12 and 13, but from the revelation. The beast who will make war on the new church of Jesus rises out of the sea, a biblical metaphor for chaos. And the predecessor dragon, quote, gave it his power and his throne and great authority. They worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast. The beast was given a mouth, uttering blasphemy and blasphemous words, haughty, blasphemies against God. Beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Is this what Paul meant? This is God's servant for your good, as he wrote. Did God appoint a ruler who blasphemed God and killed disciples of Jesus? Now, some esteemed theologians will say yes. This is part of God's larger purpose in the arc of history and the believers will not resist but will not exactly play along they will be victims they will endure it like Shadrach Meshach and Abednego and Daniel the faithful early Christians persecuted under the Roman Empire many of them many of them did refuse to go along they refused to bend the knee and pinch some incense at this emperor temple and say that the earthly ruler was a god or god. Caesar est curios, Caesar is Lord. Early church said, uh-uh, only Christ is Lord. And as a result, suffering of all kinds took place. So Paul, much decades earlier, exhorted his friends in Romans 12, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Now those who believe the Lord controls absolutely everything, including what are our governing structures and individual leaders, find comfort in trusting that justice will win out in the end, in the end times. God is in control, do not doubt that, and go muddying the waters with advocating for love distributed. Or if not in control exactly, God is allowing evil behavior. And there is an argument to be made for that which I cannot take the time to get into. But I chose these passages from Romans and Revelation 13 because they invite contrast and dialogue. Both passages in Romans today do not forget the cardinal virtue of love, though. Respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due, when they act against the teachings of God's own prophets and writers lobbying for those who have no voice or who are oppressed by the greedy throughout the Old Testament prophets. And as Paul said in Romans 12, to let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, 
love one another with mutual affection. And in 13, owe one another anything. No, owe no one anything, excuse me, owe no one anything except to love one another. For the person who loves one another has fulfilled the law. The larger context, the larger context of our living out our faith is love. And love not just for ourselves or those who look like us or who are from our land or speak our language, but love for the world as God so loved and loves the world. Love distributed can be seen as justice. And love is not always obvious. So it can get people riled up, even if they might empathize with those who are seeking justice or who are lacking it. The love distributed hasn't been distributed to their circumstances. And at the least, Revelation reminds us that some rulers, if not policies and programs run by those in authority, are unholy, like many of the Caesars of that book's era. Godly civil disobedience or nonviolent refusal to abide by the unloving, unjust edicts of rulers. Now that goes beyond the three Hebrews in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whose disobedience God supported. And they were exonerated for their stance. They weren't consumed by the fire. They weren't eaten by the lions. Now what may come to our memory sooner than Daniel is Simon Peter, and some of the disciples in Acts chapters 4 and 5. Released from prison for preaching the gospel, they are warned and then ordered to stop preaching Jesus and in his name, or they'd be put in jail again. That's chapter 4. In chapter 5, verses 27 through 32, they explicitly ignore this order. When re-arrested and reminded they've been ordered to stop this, Peter famously replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. Their love, in this case, was not aimed at bringing about justice, but about spreading the good news of the grace of God and the call of God. Like John the Baptist, they wanted to point people to follow the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We come to this discussion by virtue of the fact, not only with the scriptures that I chose, but that today is the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. Civil disobedience, peaceful protest that was more than showing up and marching. It was getting in the way peacefully. It was resisting unjust laws without brandishing a weapon or hurting someone. Like a sit-in at a whites-only lunch counter by black Americans, college students in Greensboro, North Carolina, almost 63 years ago, catalyzed a wave of nonviolent protest against private sector segregation in the United States. Those men were refused service, but stayed until closing time. In his letter from Birmingham City Jail, Reverend King wrote a response to the recent newspaper editorial written by eight liberal white clergymen in Alabama who expressed sympathy for the goal of racial justice and equality but critiqued the timing and the methods. King and the movement should allow for the battle of integration to continue in the local and federal courts and warn that his nonviolent resistance would have the effect of inciting civil disturbances. 
in what could be understood as a point of view taken from the New Testament, where Jesus often challenged the status quo to help them see things differently. King wrote, you deplore the demonstrations that are currently taking place in Birmingham. But I am sorry that your statement did not express a similar concern for the conditions that brought the demonstrations into being. He then went on to list Birmingham's history of segregation, unsolved bombings of black homes and later a black church, ugly record of police brutality against black Americans, an unjust treatment in the courtrooms. He agreed with the clergy that, who wrote that negotiation is the next step to redressing grievances. And then he listed how such negotiations in Birmingham ended in bitterly broken promises and wrote, like so many experiences of the past, we were confronted with blasted hopes and the dark shadow of deep disappointment settled in on us. So we had no alternative except that of preparing for direct action, whereby we would present our very bodies as a means of laying our case before the conscience of the local and national community. He informed them that uh, of their awareness of the suffering that came with such an approach, that these people who did these things knew what they were getting into. They were trained in nonviolence ahead of time. They were taught how not to respond to provocations such as water cannons, police dogs, verbal taunts, aggressive pushes and jabs, arrests and the like. Of course, the teaching of Jesus not to return evil for evil was embedded in this training. Why direct action? King answered, nonviolent direct action seeks to create such a crisis and establish such a creative tension that a community that has constantly refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. So it can no longer be ignored. There is a type of constructive nonviolent tension that is necessary for growth. He referred to those heroic Hebrews in Daniel as sublime in their civil disobedience, refusing to obey the edicts of Nebuchadnezzar because a higher moral law was involved. And so were there other higher moral laws involved in that time and place. And like equal rights under the law and the Constitution and the amendments, which were themselves violated to create inequality in places where segregation and violent white supremacy ruled. You and I still deal with white supremacy. Some of it is very violent, and some of it is not, but is, sometimes even unknowingly. What is the loving thing to do but seek love distributed in the realm of law as well as society and culture. Well, returning to civil disobedience as a tool for justice, love distributed, King asked these clergy who preached waiting and following the courts, are we more devoted to order than to justice? Are we those who prefer a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. What is the more loving thing, the more truly shalom-seeking dynamic? 
And lastly, excuse me, lastly, as a Christian, he reminded them that in the early church, when Christians entered a town, its power structure got upset. Remember Herod, when the Magi came and said what they said, and not only was he upset, but all of Jerusalem with him, because they knew what Herod was going to do or what he was like. That's why all of Jerusalem was upset, because Herod was upset. King reminded them that such town leaders right away sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But, he said, they ended up bringing a conclusion to such ancient evils of the Roman Empire like infanticide and gladiatorial contest peacefully. Love was allowed to expand. Rather than be disturbers of the peace in nonviolently promoting kindness, respect, and faith in Christ, they disturbed those holding the reins of injustice whose bits tore at the jaw of the common people. And things got better. Mercy, once considered a character weakness in the empire, by the empire, mercy came to be valued as a great virtue. That was the church at work. Women became more secure in the family unit. The world we live in has some similarities to 60 years ago, but of course is so different in others. We now experience mob mentalities carrying high-powered firearms. I believe that well, there's a lot of fear behind that, and including in that fear, I would say they're afraid of real democracy, and they're afraid of gays, and they're afraid of people of color, they're afraid of losing power. They're afraid of God's wide arms of love and the justice which wide arms yearn to bring. Because love is not always obvious. Love is not always obvious. Doesn't mean it's not there, not at work. People of Christian faith must never sink to violence, but must never forget that when hardened injustice breaks vows, talks fail, it is time to show our love and our call by getting in their way and resisting peacefully. Friends of the Beast. Amen. Hello again. Thanks for listening. That sermon was an attempt to do a couple of things. One was to do some teaching to those unfamiliar with uh, some of the basics of civil disobedience and uh, how it was taught at that time, if not still. And also just lifting up that within Scripture itself there are different ways of conceiving those who rule over us and kind of leaving it for us to do some of our own theologizing. Um, and, uh, you know, that the scripture from Revelation was introduced to me as a counter to Romans 13 while I was a student seminary some decades ago. So I thought I would lift that up for the congregation. And, in, and also all of it was in the context, in the background, in the context of what's going on today with, uh, you know, not only violence that seems to be somewhat random as far as schools and mass shootings, there's no serial killers involved, 
but violence itself and the spirit of it and the violence that we have seen in some some protests and some civil disobedience um, whether they were planted by opponents to denigrate their you know the the nonviolent claims of of their opponents or not but and I hope I just didn't confuse you with that so it was not my usual type of sermon but I I went ahead and preached it anyway <laughs> and wrote it anyway it was not an easy one to write uh, a lot of research went into it and then it took me a while to actually compose it so I hope you appreciated it and I will look forward to bringing you another one on Sunday, January 22nd. And uh, may God bless you. And may God bless your week. Thank you again. Bye. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.